Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on this very special day, and we hope it's a wonderful and safe holiday today for you and throughout this holiday season. We wish you the very, very best. It's certainly been a challenging 2020, and those challenges will continue, many of them, into 2021, but we hope for much better things in the coming year. Coming up on our program today, we'll talk with author Ace Collins about the stories behind some of our favorite Christmas songs, and we'll talk with Tim O'Connor with the National Christmas Tree Association. All that coming up on this special edition of Adams on Agriculture on Christmas Day. But we start with the enormous challenge of feeding people during a pandemic and during the holiday season. The numbers, the demand just continues to grow, and so does that need for help with volunteers, with donations, whatever you can do to help out. I talked recently with Carrie Calvert with Feeding America about the ongoing effort of feeding the food insecure, meeting the needs of people in this very trying time. We've been, um, you know, surveying our, our food banks and the, the agencies they work with to serve people to, um, you know, try to try to track and understand the demand for assistance. Year over year, there's an average 60% increase in demand. And when we ask people, 40% of people coming to us haven't, haven't had to seek food assistance in, in the past. So, so these are people that, you know, were working, were able to make ends meet before the pandemic, but haven't been able to do so since then. So the demand is up. What about the donations? So we definitely have seen a, a really strong response from communities and, and companies nationwide. You know, we are a generous country and the people have been definitely giving more financially than they have in the past, but it is not enough for us to meet the projected increase in demand. You know, we distributed 5 billion meals last year. That's, you put it in pounds of food, that gets 6.3 billion pounds of food. Demand is doubling, but we don't are not projecting that we can double the amount of meals that we serve each year. The amount of donations that are coming in just aren't enough for us to to double the amount of, of food we're able to provide over the next year. So, you know, we're this is a unprecedented crisis that we're in, and it's going to take a multi-pronged approach. Uh, we are so thankful for people that are getting involved in their communities, whether it's to volunteer at their local food bank to do a to pack boxes or to do a, a no-contact food distribution. We're so thankful for those that are hosting food drives, and, and we're thankful for those that can't afford to give financially. Um, you know, we're working to urge Congress to do their part, too. Increases in, in federal nutrition programs like SNAP or food meals to help kids get meals or uh, emergency food for food banks or Meals on Wheels, all of these programs are, are proven to help in times of need. We need that now. Carrie, how much has the pandemic impacted the number of volunteers and workers that you have? I mean, I would think some people have been leery to go out and, and be able to do some of the things that they had been doing or would like to do as far as volunteering. Right. It is. It has been a challenge for us to have enough volunteers, uh, for sure. We want to make sure um, that we're able to keep um, 
people that are volunteering with us safe. So we've had to, you know, redo our volunteer protocol so that we're maintaining um, social distancing in, um, in warehouses. Um, and uh, we also, um, you know, have seen less volunteers able to come in. A lot of our volunteers are, are retired and, uh, you know, they're heeding the advice of public health officials to limit their outside contact right now. So uh, when we uh, surveyed our food banks in, uh, this past October, 60% um, of Feeding America food banks said that they need more volunteers and can accept more volunteer support. So um, your listeners can go to feedingamerica.org and find a Feeding America food bank member in their area. And um, if they're able to volunteer and want to, uh, can reach out and find out how they can. We're talking with Carrie Calvert with uh, Feeding America. And Carrie, unlike a lot of um, issues, uh, challenges, and crises, where you know you, you can see it's a short term, you you can contribute, you can donate, you can help, and and you see well, okay, we're over this and we can move on. Uh, there's been a recovery, but when it comes to hunger, this is ongoing and, and it's a daily situation and, and meals need to be delivered and people are in need of that food every day and it's just ongoing. So adding to this has been the situation with schools. Some are in session, but some are not. You have the remote learning and some of those, but that means they're not there for school lunches, school breakfasts, and that's, that's added to this uh, challenge, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. You know, um, Congress has provided flexibility so that and waivers to make it easier for schools to operate lunch programs so that, you know, even if the schools are closed or the kids are doing distance learning, they can go pick up meals for a few days at a time. Um, Congress has also provided authority for USDA to um, provide pandemic EBT cards. And so kids that are um, were already participating in free and reduced price lunch, their families will get an EBT card. So their families can buy what they need to feed their kids for lunch at the store. Uh, all that's helpful, but uh, we know that it's going to be hard to make sure everyone is reached. And, um, you know, the uncertainty of schools being able to open or close um, due to the pandemic just adds to that uncertainty. Well, Carrie, here at the holiday season, uh, I think people are th do tend to think more about helping and giving and hopefully that'll carry on throughout the, throughout the year but here we are in a holiday season what are the best ways people can help uh, those that are in need the best thing for people to do is go to feedingamerica.org they can donate they can find their local food bank if they'd like to make a local donation uh, they can sign up to volunteer with us or with their local food bank. They can sign up to help us advocate with Congress to, you know, increase, uh, you know, food relief in this time of need. Uh, so I think if uh, people can go to feedingamerica.org, uh, they will be able to find a way to get involved nationally or locally. And, um, you know, uh, people across this country are, are so generous and, it has been so heartwarming to see the, the outpouring of support for people right now. And, um, you know, I think everyone recognizes that this is a crisis and that we need to pull together as a country. And, you know, I hope that sentiment can continue and is there, um, you know, for not only the short term, but the long term uh, of this recovery as well. Yeah, we need to remember uh, 
not only is the need there during the holiday season and during a pandemic, but it'll be there after the holiday season's over. And, and once we move past this pandemic, as, as you pointed out, the need was there even before uh, we heard about coronavirus. So the need is going to continue, and we encourage people to help. Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. Carrie, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday season. All right, Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. Please, if you can, um, every every bit helps. So a, a donation or if you can volunteer at a, your local food bank or food pantry, it would really help. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today. These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served, thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 food banks strong. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is Brian Keel, co-executive director for Farmers for Free Trade. Merry Christmas to you. What is the kind of the agenda or the priority list that the ag community is spelling out for the incoming Biden administration? We need to open up new markets. It's been entirely too long since we've had a real new trade agreement. I mean, we had the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, but that was really an update to NAFTA. You know, in the last really eight years, uh, we've been we, the United States, have kind of been sitting on the sidelines of trade. So really opening new markets, that's key number one. Getting rid of existing tariffs that are really a drag on agriculture is key number two. And then three, I think if there's a third message, it's really infrastructure, whether it's broadband uh, deployment for rural America or bridges, ports, rails, inland waterways. The United States need to inve- needs to invest in the infrastructure that allows us to get our goods to market. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each year at this time, I look forward to talking with author Ace Collins to talk about stories behind our favorite Christmas songs, a book he wrote uh, a number of years ago, and he's back with us. Ace, good to talk with you again. Good to visit with you all. I hope you're doing well in Bloomington and around the Midwest on farms and ranches everywhere. Yeah, you know, when we celebrate the holidays each year, we... We enjoy. I know I do. I enjoy hearing the Christmas songs, the Christmas music. I was talking with my grandson about this just the other day. He looks forward to that, and we sing those songs as we're riding in the car or truck or, or wherever it may be. Uh, there's so much a part of our holidays, and one thing I've learned in talking with you over the years, I had no idea where these so- some of these songs originated and how far back they go, and some of them do go back centuries. Some of them do. Uh, the oldest complete Christmas carol we sing is probably O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that dates back to the 900s. Uh, if you listen to that song carefully, there's only about a range of seven or eight notes. You can actually hear or, or visualize monks in, in, in Eastern European churches singing that song in Latin. I mean, you know, there's echoing off those, off those old uh, small little monastery uh, chapel walls, uh, and that's probably the oldest complete song that we, uh, that we sing to this day. Uh, Glory in Excelsis Deus, we call it Gloria now, at least part of that goes back to at least 130 A.D., because on that particular year, a church leader at that time uh, said whenever the second chapter of Luke is read, the congregation should all sing Gloria. And so that song even dates back further, or at least part of that song dates back further, whether it's just the chorus or whether there's some of the other words in it um, that go with it that we sing today, I don't know. But we do know that that edict was set forth in 130 A.D., and if you think about that, to consider the fact that we're still singing a song in one form or another, that everybody knew in 130 A.D. meant that it probably was 60, 70, 80 years older than that. And uh, you have no idea what that songwriter visualized or witnessed, uh, who he met, you know. And and so he could have actually seen some of the things that happened uh, in the lifetime of Jesus. And that's that's a remarkable element of song history that should make that song come alive uh, a bit more than, than it does when you normally hear it or sing it. And, and by the way, if you look at a lot of hymnals, they'll call it a French carol because it was lost for many, many years and then was translated from Latin into, into French about 250, 300 years ago. And, and so it's not really a French carol, uh, but it does, uh, it, it was saved by, by uh, some cleric in France that found it in files and, and gave it back to us after a hiatus of, of hundreds of years. We're talking with author Ace Collins. He wrote a book a few years ago about the stories behind our favorite Christmas songs. And Ace, like the season itself, uh, when those songs were written, they had a particular meaning at that time, but the meaning uh, 
keeps going. And uh, the message now, here here we are going through a pandemic, but the message is as strong and as important today as it was back then. Some circumstances change, but the overall message is the same. Well, you think about this. We, we've seen probably eight or ten songs that survived the, the, the great, you know, the Black Plague in Europe. Uh, we sing uh, scores of songs that, that survived the Spanish flu in World War II. And, and these songs, you know, help people during those uncertain times, just like they helped us today. You know, you mentioned something about your grandson, and it's fascinating to me that you're sharing some of the same emotions and feelings when these songs come back every year, because Christmas music really does create a time machine. Uh, for your grandson, he's remembering things that may have happened last year, the year before, the year before that. For you, you may be remembering something that happened 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. And, and those things come back in great clarity because of a song or, or an ornament or a tradition that you embrace. And suddenly the people from your past are very much alive. You, you picture them. You, you see them. Um, I, have a, uh, I have an aunt who passed away with COVID a, a, about three weeks ago. And, and every time I hear Elvis right now singing Blue Christmas because she's an Elvis fan, she's very much alive to me again. I picture her when she was younger. I I picture what she was like when she was babysitting me when I was a kid. And so Christmas has that ability to bring moments and people back to life. You can smell the smells, taste the taste, see the scenes in a clarity that we don't get any other time of the year. And it's because that music comes back every year to remind us of those people. So there's a, a tremendous blessing, even in this bit of time when... My family is not gathering for the holidays because of what we're going through to have those songs and those traditions come back to remind us of the fact that, yeah, there are some incredible memories that we can dwell on and, and embrace this Christmas, even though we can't embrace those people. And it also reminds me, we're talking about music, uh, you know, there was a tremendous hit by Bing Crosby in World War II called I'll Be Home for Christmas. Well, there were many people, including my grandfather in World War II, who didn't get to come home for two to three years. They had a child that was born while they were overseas fighting a war, and they didn't get to see that child until that child was over two years old. Those, those people still had the faith to believe they would get back together at Christmas. And I think that's one of the things that we need to hang on to this year. So that music, like that song I just mentioned, uh, does that for us. It gives us that that hope that things will become normal in 2021. We will have a Christmas again. We'll all gather around the table. There won't be empty places at that table. And we will once again unite as a family. Yeah, you, you mentioned Bing Crosby. I mention this every year. One of the things I love about this time of year is Bing is back on the radio, and I, I enjoy that. And you mentioned World War II. A lot of the songs that we uh, sing now and hear now, they they go back, trace back to that World War II time. They do. Uh, you know, I mentioned Bing um, on, on I'll Be Home for Christmas, which is his second big World War II hit. His first one was White Christmas. Um, um, fascinating story behind that song, because Irving Berlin wrote all the music for the for the uh, movie Holiday Inn. And um, when he played that music for Bing, he got to the last song that he wanted to play. It was a Christmas song, and he said, Bing, this one's not very good. I'm going to play it for you, but I'm, I guarantee you I'll write something better 
before we actually have to do the movie. And Bing heard the song and said, Irving, don't change a word. This song is perfect. Well, Bing was not planning on singing that song until Christmas of 1942, because the movie wasn't coming out until 1942, so there was no reason to, to kind of jump the movie. And then Pearl Harbor happened, and a few weeks later on his Christmas Eve broadcast, Bing felt the need to introduce White Christmas to the world. And, and people who were listening to that national broadcast all over the United States really clung to that song as if it was a prayer. And, and people everywhere started calling the radio stations wanting to hear it again and again. And so even though the record was not released until 1942, White Christmas was a song that gave people a lot of inspiration and hope in the days right after Pearl Harbor. And so that's one of the, of the three big Christmas hits from World War II. The third one being Judy Garland's hit, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, uh, which was a very uh, solemn, somber, sad song when it was written. And Judy felt that while it fit Meet Me in St. Louis, the movie and the music for that, she also realized that it didn't fit the mood of the country. You did not need to, in 1943 and 1944, have people listening to a song that had lyrics that, you know, this may be our our Christmas last. You know, things may be in the past. You know, we may never see each other again. You didn't need that message. And so Judy had the songwriters rewrite the lyrics to that song before she would record it. And, of course, it became her signature song. You mentioned being, we mentioned... Uh, Judy, in truth, having a Christmas hit makes you immortal. I mean, you know, if you've got a mm-hmm. big Christmas hit, you're going to come back every Christmas forever. If you don't have a Christmas hit, your music's pretty much forgotten. You know, Dinah Shore charted over 400 times, never had a Christmas hit. We don't listen to the music of Dinah Shore anymore, but we listen to the music of Perry Como. We listen to the music of Bing Crosby. And those songs come back to visit us. Gene Autry with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus right. come to the town. Those songs come back, and so entire generations get reintroduced to music because of these Christmas hits. Yeah, that's why, as you say, artists want to get that big Christmas hit. It keeps them uh, on the radio uh, almost forever in some cases, it seems like. And there's a great connection between those Christmas songs and movies, as you pointed out. We'll talk much more about this with author Ace Collins, our holiday special, looking at the stories behind some of our favorite Christmas songs. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. 
Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Kirsten Rawl, farm broadcaster and multimedia journalist, wishing you a Merry Christmas. Those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the ha- happiest season of all. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near It's the most wonderful time of the year There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near It's the most wonderful Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from all of us at the American Ag Network. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back as we continue our holiday tradition of talking with author Ace Collins about the songs behind some of our favorite Christmas songs. And Ace, we were talking about artists want to get that big Christmas hit because it keeps coming back year after year after year. Uh, Many have tried, and you mentioned Dinah Shore, and some were not able to accomplish that. But uh, 
uh, once you get that, as you said, you're always going to get airtime every Christmas time. Uh, some in recent years have been successful, uh, such as you know a song like "Mary, Did You Know" has probably become this generation's big uh, Christmas song, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, we I think we'll still be listening to that song a long time from now. And you know, when you look at the story behind that song, Mark Lowry wrote the lyrics, and Lowry was assigned to write what they call bridge. Uh, narration uh, during a Christmas cantata for his church in Houston, Texas. They did a living Christmas tree kind of set up every year. And in the process of um, of working with it, he got to thinking about, you know, what would have been like in that first Christmas? And then he kind of pictured himself as a newspaper reporter covering it and covering not the birth of Jesus, but the death of Jesus, and was, was going to interview Mary. And he asked himself all these questions like a reporter would. It took him about two years to find uh, Scott Bell to write the music for it. And they released it, and it proves that there is always a new point of view that can be used even after these thousands upon thousands of Christmas songs that we've had. People can come up with a new way to look at the holiday. And certainly Mark Lowry did that. Uh, Kathy Matea had the original hit on that song. It's been recorded hundreds of times since then, and, and therefore that is a song from our generation. And it may never be associated with a particular artist, uh, I, because a lot of people are playing versions other than Kathy Mateo's version right now, but the song is going to stick with us, much like uh, hits from the late 50s and early 60s, Do You Hear What I Hear, and uh, The Little Drummer Boy stick with us in a variety of forms. Uh, you know, Going back to Bing, though, hundreds of people have, well, thousands of people have recorded White Christmas, but the definitive version is, is Bing's. You know, uh, hundreds of people have recorded Blue Christmas, including, uh, you know, a dozen before Elvis cut it, and yet the definitive version is Elvis. And so you you have certain songs that are attached to certain artists. I think uh, 50 years from now, people will still be listening to Mariah Carey's uh, hit, you know, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, I think there are certain songs that are <clears throat> are with those certain artists that we're not going to leave, to lose, and 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 that I think is what really makes uh, Christmas special when you can have that. A little, by the way, a rural note here that is so much fun and should be fun for our listeners right now who are uh, looking out the window and in, in, in snow-covered areas. Uh, in 1840, in Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, a uh, community leader assigned his son to write a song for the community Thanksgiving uh, service, which was an outdoor non-religious service. It was just the community was doing a service, and he wanted the children's choir to sing something. And the guy, the young college student who was supposed to write the song, couldn't come up with anything, and he kept hearing this noise outside his door and went outside his door, and there were a bunch of boys, teenage boys, attempting to impress girls by racing their sleds. They were literally drag racing their horse-drawn sleds. And so this guy was so inspired, he went back in and wrote a song that was performed by the Children's Choir in 1840 in Medford, Massachusetts. It was so popular, they asked them to sing it again at the community Christmas uh, Eve uh, presentation. And people went back to Boston and New York 
thinking this song had been written specifically for Christmas. The name of the song is Jingle Bells. It is how we picture an American Christmas, yet it was written for Thanksgiving. It was not written for Christmas, and yet it inspired Courier Ives and the Christmas cards you get and the Hollywood movies that followed. It became, it's been a hit on the charts many, many times, and yet Jingle Bells is the best-known Thanksgiving song in the world, and it's nothing more than an 1840s Beach Boy song, if you think about it, about, about young men <laughs> trying to impress girls by saying who was the fastest with the vehicle they had. And I think it's absolutely right. fascinating that the image around the world of Christmas is based on, you know, that American uh, song written for a Thanksgiving presentation. Well, when you talk about image, I, I often think about the song, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That that seems to be a part of Christmas, but I've never roasted chestnuts on a on a fire, and I don't know how many people do, but that's kind of an enduring image because of that song. Oh, and I, you know, I, I've always been curious as to what they what they taste like. I, I would really like to taste a, a roasted chestnut. Uh, you go back to 1946, Mel Torme and one of his co-writing partners were writing music for a Hollywood musical. Very, you know, a lot of musicals, very popular during that time. And it was the hottest day of the year in California. And they, they were wearing Hawaiian shirts and shorts and sweating, drinking lemonade and, and trying to stay cool. And finally, Mel got the idea to talk about, talk about winters in New England because they were both from New England. They were talking about the memories of their winters in New England. And and Jack Frost nipping at your nose, and then the chestnuts roasting in an open fire. They start talking, and they realized they had the potential to be writing a song. So they paused for writing the musical, but they were writing music for the musical, and started writing those lyrics down. And within 30 minutes, they'd come up with this song on the hottest day of the year. And they then got into a debate on who do we take this song to? Well... You know, the overriding thought was you take it to Bean Crosby because he's had these these monster hits. But Mel Torme wanted to take it to Nat King Cole. Well, the, the publisher and everyone else said that's not a good idea because there's oh, there are some stations in the United States that will not play in a, a, a black artist's music. But I don't know what Torme had on these guys, but he convinced them to take it to his friend Nat King Cole. Cole recorded it in 1946, broke the color line before Jackie Robinson or Rosa Parks did, and had a monster hit on Chestnut's Roasted Gun Open Fire that's called The Christmas Song. And of course, it has become an important part of Christmas as well. And much more than Mona Lisa or Unforgettable, we remember Nat King Cole for this song. Yeah, those are amazing stories. Before we run out of time, uh, tell us this, the uh, story behind Silent Night. Go back to 1918, excuse me, 1818 in a small, uh, you know, village of Obendorf in Austria. And a young priest, 25 years old, named Joseph Moore, is about to have his first ever service that he's done by himself. He's conducting the service. And he goes to the church, and the organ won't work. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of wonderful legends about why the organ wouldn't work, including the mice ate the bellows. Actually, it was just an old organ that had been causing problems for quite a while and just gave up the ghost. It just would not work. And he was in a panic because he had based his entire service on music that the choir was going to sing. He ran across town in this freezing weather to his friend Franz Gruber 
And Gruber and he talked, and Gruber said, I'll play the guitar for the choir. And he said, no, the music doesn't work that way, is what Moore told him. So they, the songs are too classical. And they started uh, Gruber to say, well, let's write something. And that is when Moore remembered that two years before, in 1816, while visiting an uncle and walking through a woods on, on uh, Christmas Eve in the snow on this clear night, that he had written a poem about his feelings about Christmas. He went back and found that poem and brought it back to Gruber. They wrote music for it, and that night, Silent Night, or Stilly Night, I like it not, became the song that saved the Christmas Eve service. Well, we would not know that song today if somebody hadn't had to fix the organ. And so the person who came in to fix the organ asked, what did you do for Christmas music? And that is when the priest picked up his own guitar, played in Silent Night. The man who fixed the organ wrote down the lyrics and memorized the music. Well, 30 years later, this priest is walking through Cologne, Germany. This is a little poor priest who has never, never gotten out of the little towns he's been a priest in. And he hears his song coming from a cathedral. And he, he has not played it since that night that had saved the service. He's wondering, how did this song get here? And he walks in, and this choir is singing Silent Night. And it's beautiful. And he's overcome. And nobody will believe him that he wrote the song, because they have been singing it for a decade or more in this church. And he died without getting credit for writing the song. But Franz Gruber, who was still alive, produced the original piece of music, and publishing companies started to publish it under their names. What is interesting about that is it was the organ man playing Johnny Appleseed for Silent Night that that took that song everywhere and taught it to everyone. So by the time the priest heard it, Silent Night, as performed in that Cologne, Germany cathedral, Silent Night had already uh, gone to more than 40 different countries, been translated in multiple languages, and was the favorite Christmas carol in a place that the priest would never visit. That's the United States. Wow. In the season of, of miracles, that is a miracle there, and, and we still enjoy that song. I love that story. Ace, I wish we had more time. I look forward to this every year. Let's do it again next year, okay? I can't wait. Look forward to it. Y'all have a merry and a very mighty Christmas this year. That's great. Thank you so much for being with us, and Merry Christmas to you and your family, Ace. And uh, we encourage people to find that book that you wrote a few years ago, Stories Behind Our Favorite Christmas Songs. That is author Ace Collins. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. 
Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Time for our monthly visit with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers as we take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Kurt, happy holidays. What are the latest numbers tell us? I'll tell you what, we are continuing to see some nice numbers in tractor and combine sales in in the United States. November saw pretty much an increase across the board. Continuing with this trend of under 40 horsepower tractors leading the way, but tell you what, we saw some nice improvement in 40 to 100 100 horsepower and 100 plus horsepower tractors as well. So good numbers for November. If you look at the year in total, is that 2020 has been a little bit of a surprise. Uh, we were we were entering into the year thinking that this was going to be uh, you know a flat year, but we've seen you know in the case of under 40 horsepower tractors, we've seen a 20% year over year growth in that market. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. 
While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Tis the season. Let's talk Christmas trees with Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association. Tim, good to talk with you again. We have a good supply of trees across the country this year. Well, good morning, Mike. And yes, we do. The industry is really geared up and is in full stride of the season and excited about it. What is the trend? What are the numbers telling us as far as... um, people buying real trees versus artificial? Well, it's one of those sidebars on the COVID year that we're experiencing that many people have determined that Christmas is going to be a special holiday for their family this year. And as a result of that, they want to get a real tree to make this year something special, including a lot of folks who either never had a real tree before or had moved away to a PVC tree and are coming back to a real tree this time. And our members are telling us they are just seeing record business numbers. Are we still seeing uh, popularity growth in people going out and having the whole experience of picking and cutting their own tree? Yes, that that is a tremendously popular thing for families to do. You know, it's, it's subject to where you live if there are tree farms nearby enough that you can make the trip to get your tree that way. There's certainly nothing wrong with going to the corner lot or, you know, a local retailer that sells the tree already pre-cut. But, you know, families do prefer when they can that experience of going to the farm. Uh, And our, our growers have really specialized, many of them, in that opportunity. And they they build a big bundle of things around just the tree itself in terms of experiences and educational programs and other seasons that they can bring people to their farm and really extend their opportunity to have outreach and business opportunities with those consumers. What are the most popular types of trees this year? Well, as always, it depends a little bit on um, where you live in the country because Like much of agriculture, Christmas tree production has been specialized, you know, over the past several decades with the breeding of trees adapted to local growing conditions, soils, etc., that uh, the trees that are grown in one part of the country are not the same trees as grown in the other. So if you're in the Midwest, eastern part of the country, a Fraser fir is a very popular tree, but you'll also see other species. If you're in the West, uh, the noble and Nordman firs are the most popular trees because, again, those are the the varieties that have been developed for those particular climates. 
Is there also a big push on education as far as how to take care of the tree and what to do with it after Christmas? Well, we always do want people to know that because it's part of having a wonderful experience with a real Christmas tree. Uh, It's really important to handle a tree properly. Uh, And so we do a lot of work uh, to educate consumers on that, the growers themselves and, and the tree lots typically have good information available to their customers and, you know, try to make sure they know how to care for it. And then one of the things that helps differentiate a real tree from a a piece of plastic made in a factory in China is that it was grown on a farm. It's super environmental friendly. And when it's life as a Christmas tree is done, it's fully recyclable as a product of nature. So it's not going in a landfill and sitting for a thousand years, like PVC plastic will, it's being recycled in various ways, and we make sure that people understand that that's the proper thing to do with their trees, look at what's going on in their community for ways that trees are recycled and participate in those. Uh, They're often mulched and used as landscape materials, but there are other things that can be done with trees, and it depends on where you live, what options are available to you. Are more people getting into tree farming, or are you losing producers? Where are you at on that? Well, like other segments of agriculture, Mike, there's been consolidation. Uh, you know, the, the economies of scale are significant so that, you know, those who have the equipment in the, in the labor force have expanded their production. Typically, they have picked up acreage that's already planted in trees, from growers who are retiring or phasing out to expand their operations. Where the growth really is in the industry is what we were discussing before, the choose and cut segment, the growers who are mm-hmm. near enough to an urban area that they can bring consumers to their farm to, to pick out their own tree and have that farm experience. And that's, that is the growth sector of the business, uh, and it is attracting more people every year. It also facilitates, um, as I was saying earlier, other seasonal activities like pumpkin patches, apple orchards, you pick berries. Many of these farms have diversified to have that seasonality of offerings and bring consumers and school groups multiple times during the year to their farm. And you know, every one of those is a revenue generation point. What about parts of the country? Are you seeing more diversification in that, or is it still the production still concentrated in, in certain areas? It, you know, there are several states that are the leading states. You know, Oregon is the number one producing state, North Carolina number two, and then you go to the upper Midwest with uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Pennsylvania, all filling in that top five producing states, uh, you know, the commonality is that trees perform pretty well on rolling to mountainous farmland, typically land that isn't as well suited for row crops, and that, you know, the the opportunity to grow trees is really kind of following what nature's doing. Well, Tim, it's always good to talk with you and uh, check in each year at this time to see where the industry's at. Sounds like a good uh, supply for those real trees out there. We hope everyone has a very safe Christmas season. Good to talk with you again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk with you. Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association. 
Join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean! Separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. 